morning, everybody. Everybody having a good week so far? Good start to your week. What better way to start the week than to worship God in spirit and truth? Amen? I just want to uh, thank those who are visiting with us. Uh, we are so uh, happy to have you with us, our honored guests. As we often say, if there's uh, questions or uh, uh, that you have about our worship, why it may be different than what you're used to, uh, please uh, get with us afterwards so we're able to answer those questions for you. If you look on the screen behind me, I'm going to start a, a series of sermons. Uh, we're going to start to look at some of the history of uh, this morning. We're going to look at history behind the many of the great prophets that we find in the Bible. I know as the kids are reading up here and they're going through the Old Testament books and you get to, uh, you get to the major prophets and you get to the minor prophets, where do we find all of those major and minor prophets? Well, we find them in the Old Testament, but is there a specific place that we find them in the Old Testament? God sent those prophets out during the divided kingdom. And so we're going to start to look. We're not going to go forever and look at every single prophet, but we're going to look at some of the major prophets. Today is going to be more of a history lesson on the background of the united slash divided kingdom. Because in order to understand the prophets and, and why God sent them in the first place, we need to really understand the social climate, right? The historical climate in which the things were taking place, why God had to send prophets in the first place. And to really understand that, it's to understand the, the Bible and the Old Testament. You know, before there was a divided kingdom, there was what? There was a united kingdom. And it's not the united kingdom that many of you think of. It was the united kingdom. And in that united kingdom of the Old Testament, there were three kings. Were there not? You had Saul, you had David, you had Solomon. And those three kings, they ruled for approximately about 120 years. So 120 years, the people of Israel, they prospered, and, and God was with them. We see in King Saul that he, uh, he reigned from about 1050 to 1010 B.C. We see there that in King David, he ruled from 1010 B.C. to about 970, and then you got to King Solomon in 970 to about 931 B.C. Well, then something happens after the death of King Solomon in about 931 his son, uh, Rehoboam, he becomes king. Well, Rehoboam was young, and well, like many of our young kids today and many of our young men today, they don't really have a lot of wisdom yet, right? Uh, and at the end of Solomon's life, there was a, a lot of fractions that were starting to enter in. Uh, there was a lot of people who were unhappy with the way uh, things were going at the end of Solomon's life. And then Rehoboam, he got in, and instead of easing some of the burdens in the people of Israel's lives and the, the lives of the Jews, he actually decided, I'm going to compound the burdens. And we basically, in 931 B.C., we enter into, well, a fractured Israel. And that fractured Israel uh, uh, basically uh, brought about what? Civil war, so to speak. And then at the end of about 931 B.C., we see that when uh, Rehoboam decides that I'm not going to uh, give, uh, give way, I'm going to actually uh, double, triple your burdens, the ten, uh, tribes, ten of the tribes of Israel decide to leave, uh, to leave the family, so to speak. And the ten tribes become what we now know, or what we know in history, as the northern tribes. They took the name Israel with them. And so the northern kingdom, Israel, was made up of ten tribes. And then we think about, well, what happened to the rest of the tribes? Well, there was two tribes left. You have Benjamin and Judah. They stayed in the south, and they stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed 
invade and they, they kept control over the temple. And that this happened, and it's called Judah, the southern kingdom is called Judah, but it's made up of two tribes, Benjamin and, 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 uh, and Judah. But it's important that we understand this part in history. Because as you start to read First and Second Kings, you're going to start to read how there were multiple kings uh, who were serving, reigning at the same time. And if you don't know the history, if you don't know what's going on, it can be confusing as to why uh, two different kings are being mentioned. Well, there's the king of Israel, and then there's the king of Judah. The northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom. And you need to understand those to really make sense of what we see uh, during this time. But it's during this time, brethren, that in the northern kingdom, we see... Uh, nothing but evil. We see that the northern kingdom known as Israel, it lasted for about 200 years. It was about 722 BC that when the Assyrians came in, they overtook the northern kingdom of Israel, those 10 tribes, and they did what? They not only uh, brought them into captivity, but they pretty much ceased from existence. They would never again be a nation. They would never again be a kingdom, uh, at least known as Israel. And so, brethren, this northern kingdom, for 200 years, right from the get-go, they were not good people, right? I mean, right from the get-go, there's a king called Jeroboam. Jeroboam becomes the king of the northern kingdom. And he takes them, uh, he takes them north, and what does he do? The first thing he sets up was a golden calf. And he's like, well, we can't worship at the temple. And, and so, and God, you know, God's spirit resides in the temple. So we're going to make a golden calf to worship. And from that moment on, they worshiped a golden calf. They entered into idolatry. And for 200 years, um, brethren, these individuals did nothing but wickedness in the sight of God. What's interesting about both kingdoms, uh, the northern and the southern kingdom, is they both had 19 kings. It's kind of strange because the northern kingdom lasted for two, uh, 200 years and the, and the southern kingdom lasted for uh, about another 130 years after that. So say 336 or so, give or take years. And what we see in that northern kingdom is nothing but wickedness. 200 years of godly rebellion, 200 years of spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual darkness, 200 years of neglect of worship, 200 years of, well, evil. And you see there was 19 kings, but several dynasties that came from those 19 kings. And so you ask, well, why is that important? Because in that day and age, the different, when you didn't like what the one king said and you wanted to be king, you just go assassinate the king. And then you kill his entire family. Well, these are God's chosen people, right? The northern kingdom of Israel. And, and you see that there was nothing but just anarchy, idolatry, immorality, and the list could just go on and on about the sins. But we want to see that as we go through the history lesson here this morning, that God is patient with his people. Think about that, 200 years. It wasn't a minute, it was a bunch of minutes. 200 years of nothing but godless rebellion before God allowed the Assyrians to overtake them because of their own wickedness. Brethren, as I said a moment ago, we see that King Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, he ruled over the southern kingdom, and he ruled, and it lasted to about 986 B.C. Well, 931 is when the, the southern kingdom began, and 586 is when the Babylonians came in and overtook them and took them into captivity. 
But the difference between the 19 kings and dynasties that we see in the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom also had 19 kings, but they were all descendants of David. And that's a very important distinction to make because they were all descendants of David. And why do you think that was important? Because Jesus, he was going to come from which tribe? He was going to come from the tribe of Judah. And we know that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But, and, and we know that God had promised David that there would always be a descendant on his throne. And that the, that the Messiah, the Messianic prophecies, was going, the Messiah was going to be a son of David. So if there was a break in the Davidic line, then the prophecy would never have come true. The seed line would not have come true. The Messiah would not have come. You see, brethren, so the 19 kings that we find in the divided kingdom of the southern kingdom of Judah were all descendants of King David. So why is it important to study out the divided kingdom? Well, first and foremost, is not all of Scripture uh, inspired by God? Is not all of Scripture, uh, scripture uh, profitable for learning? Uh, and so that's the first and foremost reason, is that it's the Word of God. And to really truly understand who we are as God's people in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we really have to understand the Old Testament. You got to be able to understand the seed line. You got to be able to understand the messianic prophecies. You got to be able, be able to understand the historical settings. So that way you could see when God had sent his prophets during this divided kingdom, all 17 of them that we read about in the Old Testament, they all came during this time frame. There are many references also, the second point of why we need to study the divided kingdom. Many references are made in the New Testament about things that happened in the divided kingdom. You hear about individuals like Elijah. You hear about Elisha. You hear about Naaman and Jezebel. You hear about the kings of Judah and other things that can be named. Those things that you hear about in the New Testament came about during this time frame. The other reason that we study out the divided kingdom is, is the historical setting for many of the great prophets. What made these individuals great prophets? It's to understand the climate in which they prophesied. The dangers, the perils that they had to face on a regular basis. Which uh, You guys remember uh, what Jesus said and, and uh, what the apostles said to the, to the Jews of, in, in the new covenant? Which of the uh, prophets did you not kill? Which of the prophets did you not persecute? And so we have to understand the social climate in which they prophesied. And there's also, too, many of the uh, modern-day archaeological discoveries were, are discoveries that relate to the kings of, those divided, of the divided kingdom. And so, brethren, there are many reasons why we can study out the divided kingdom. Another one that we studied out is that during that time, of, that during that time period, it shows God's training. It shows God's discipline. It shows God's blessings upon the, uh, the southern tribe of Judah. I'm not going to say the northern tribe of Israel because they were so wicked all the time that did you know that not one of those 19 kings was a good king? They were all involved in godless rebellion. And yet, while there was godless rebellion in the southern kingdom, there were still some pretty awesome kings that came about in the Davidic kingdom. And so while some were evil, some were good, uh, holy, and godly individuals. And then the last reason why we study out the, the divided kingdom, because it shows the periods of fulfillment of prophecies that were made prior to that. Prophecies that were made by David. Prophecies that were made by Moses that were fulfilled during those times. 
And so uh, in the scriptures in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, how do you know if a prophecy is made by God or by man? If it comes true, is what the Lord tells us. And so, brethren, the old, we know that the divided kingdom, it furnishes us many, many illustrations of human character and human behavior. It's kind of like a course in psychology, if you will. And so there's so many reasons that we study out the, uh, the, the divided kingdom. And it's during this united and divided kingdoms, brethren, and it's, it's understanding the prophecies and the promises of God that you can then understand the fulfillment of the seed line. You can understand the messianic prophecies and where they come from and why those messianic prophecies were made in the first place. You understand the love and the patience of God and so many other things. Brethren, remember why we study the Old Testament. Remember what the Apostle Paul had to say in this first passage of Scripture on the screen behind me in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever was written in earlier times, it's written for what? For our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Well, who was the Apostle Paul writing to? The Apostle Paul in Rome was writing to converts to Christianity. And he tells them for whatever was written in former times, earlier times, it's talking about in the Old Testament. It's for our instruction. So that way, when people question our faith, when they question Jesus being the Messiah, we could then go back into the Old Covenant, uh, understanding the Messianic prophecies, and show how God had prophesied that Jesus was, the, that Jesus was the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, brethren, we, as we get through this information, as we look at this history lesson, the prophets' messages were given by individuals who were spiritual and courageous giants among men. And you understand that because of understanding the social climate. Not, not one of the prophets ever prophesied where there wasn't danger, disaster, and sin. They were calling on people to restore their lives who didn't want to hear what they had to say. And thus, which of the prophets did our forefathers not kill? You see, brethren... That is why it's important to know the social climates of the times of the United King or the divided kingdom. The mission of these prophets is important to understand. The mission of these prophets was to speak, thus saith the Lord. They were to take the word of the Lord out to who, whoever they were sent, no matter the danger, no matter the risk involved. The prophet's missions was to expose the sins of the people by teaching, thus saith the Lord. How often do people like to have their sins brought to the uh, carpet? How often do people like to be called to the carpet to talk about the sin that is in their lives, to talk about how they've went astray, to talk about how they are now in violation of God's law? Isn't that always such a comfortable conversation? But you see, brethren, the people of, of the prophets' days, they weren't interested in restoration. They were interested in keeping the status quo. They didn't want the prophets to come around and to, and to kind of mess up the status quo, so to speak. They were enjoying their sin. They wanted to continue in sin. Otherwise, they would have re returned back to God and returned back to his blessings. The prophets upheld the love of God for his people by doing what God required of them. To take this message out, even at their own peril, and to show that if you return... 
If you change your ways, if you repent and turn back to God, then, brethren, you'll turn back to a loving and holy God who will forgive your sins. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences, but we know that God will forgive our sins. Brethren, the prophets upheld the love of God, and yet they made it crystal clear that judgment was going to come. That judgment was on the, uh, on the way for all who have been disobedient. Does that sound familiar? Have you guys read the New Testament recently? Has, does that sound familiar? That judgment is coming? And that if you, do, if you continue on in your disobedience to the Lord, if you continue on in your worldliness, that you're not going to receive blessings but a curse. You see, brethren, that's exactly the message that we're to take out to the world. And so the prophets, they foretold the destruction of nations that surrounded Israel and Judah. The prophets foretold of Israel and Judah's fall and the captivities that soon was going to overtake them because of their unrepented sin. The prophets foretold of the future blessings of the people of God during the Messianic age. And so you see, brethren, the prophets were both foretellers as well as foretellers. To foretell something is to uh, predict the future. But to foretell something is simply to announce the message. So they were both foretellers as well as foretellers. And brethren, the lives of the prophets, they offer to us great examples for us to follow. Because these men, they spoke courageously. And they spoke uncompromisingly. They never compromised the word of God in order to, to not disturb the status quo. They spoke courageously, they spoke uncompromisingly, and they could not be bound or stopped from speak, speaking all that God had commanded them. They could not be bound from speaking the message because of public opinion. They could not be bound from speaking the message because, because of kings or because of princes, because of false prophets or because of persecution. These men, in times of great peril, stood, uh, stood with God and on his moral standards. Can we stay the same? Can we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, say the same? Are we not in times now of, well, as we start to preach and teach the word of God to the world, that it could be in times of peril? Times of danger, times of sin. You see, brethren, there's not a whole lot of difference between the message to the prophets than we take out to the world. Because, brethren, we are the disciples of Jesus Christ who are to go out into a, a sin-laden world, to go out into a fallen world, and to remind them of a loving God, to remind them of the God that created them, to remind them of the expectations that we see that God has for us. Rather, in their lives, the prophets' lives matched their message, and that gave their message even more force. It gave it even more power. For us to go out into the world to seek and to save the lost, our lives must also emulate our message. We cannot preach the word of God and yet act like the world. Because then you're going to be called a hypocrite, like so many Christians are called by their family and friends who are of the world. You see, brethren, the prophets were mostly reformers. They were reformers disturbing the status quo, as I said twice already. And the value of these prophets is really great unto mankind. Because mankind hasn't changed a whole lot during our existence. I want you to think about something. Because of the hardness of our hearts, because of the desires of our flesh, 
because of the lack of self-control on our part, we still need to hear, hear the same warnings. Amen. We still need to hear the same messages that the prophets preached 3,500 years ago. 3,000 years ago. We need to hear the same messages. Amen. God's chosen people of, of the divided kingdom, they lied, they stole, they murdered, they committed sexual immoralities, they were full of greed and selfishness, and they were always lusting after more because they could never find contentment in the Lord because they always desired more. They were oppressive and unjust. They were prejudiced and full of hatred. Brethren, these are God's chosen people. And yet God is patient towards them, giving the northern kingdom 200 years in order to repent and to turn back to God. Just as many who identify as Christians today, many who identify as Christians today can be identified with that same list that I just read that made up the northern kingdom of Israel as well as the southern kingdom of Judah. Brothers and sisters, they, were, they preferred to hear messages of reassurance do you know anybody, as you try to talk to them about the scriptures, do they, do they prefer to be reassured that the life that they're living is just going to be okay and that we're all going to go to the same place anyways? Or do they want to be rebuked? Do they pre prefer to be reassured or do they prefer to be rebuked? You know, that's the question that really we have to consider here this morning. Because if that doesn't sound familiar to you, I don't know what else does. And so as we look at this, we're going to start to now transition from this history lesson so you can understand the social climate in which these, uh, these prophets were sent out. The first prophet we're going to look at here this morning, and it's only going to, man, it's already 1130. How many songs did you guys sing? <laughs> I didn't even get to the first prophet. I'm going to ask you to be patient. I'll, I'll skip a few notes. But the first prophet that I want us to look at is the prophet Joel. And then next week, we're going to get into Elijah. I wanted to start with Elijah, because Elijah was the, was the first one to the northern kingdom. But we're going to start with the first prophet to the southern kingdom. Because at the end of the day, both of them fell under God's wrath. Both of them were taken into captivity. And so as we think about the prophet Joel, his message was a message of what? It was a message of repentance. Pretty much most of the prophet's messages were messages of repentance, right? And so it shows the value and importance of God's discipline. And in bringing the people to repentance, which brings the people, which restores the people. Think about this next passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 and 6. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked by him. For those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. What's the point? Joel relayed a message that God's judgment was coming upon the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. For, his, for God's people, the people of Judah, had also gone the way of wickedness, have also gone the way of godless rebellion. And that current plague, they were suffering at the time of the prophecy of Joel, they were suffering a great plague, a plague of locusts. They were suffering from a drought. And God lets them know through Joel that the plague and that the drought had come upon them because they refused to turn away from the sin in their lives. They refused to be restored unto God and to repent of the sin. And as we think about the prophet Joel, 
Joel, in his writings, there's three views that we see about the coming kingdom. There's three views that we see about the Messianic age. The first view about the Messiah is that the Messiah would be the one to send the Spirit, as we learn about in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. That's the same individual that Peter um, quotes from in Acts chapter 2 during his first sermon. The second view of the Messiah is that Joel lets us know that the Messiah would judge the nations of the world. When you get to Joel chapter 3 and verse 2 on the screen behind me, notice what it says. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial, for they did not do my inheritance. My people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations, they divided up my land. Well, what does that mean? What do, you, you go and you look at the second sentence there in Joel chapter 3 and verse 2. It talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, what does that mean? Well, the name Jehoshaphat simply means Yahweh will judge. And so, so the valley of Jehoshaphat fits well with the context of the overall theme of judgment that we see as you study out the book of Joel. That God, Yahweh, will judge. The third view about the Messiah is that Joel lets the people of his day know that God will always be a shelter. He'll be a stronghold for all of his people who turn away from the sin in their lives and return unto him in faith. You see, brethren, the book of Joel isn't a whole lot different than the book of Zephaniah. It's a book about the coming judgment. Did you know that just like Joel, just like Zephaniah, it's also very similar to the book of Revelation. For Joel predicts the harvest of the earth. Just like it says in Joel chapter 3, you could also read about it in Revelation chapter 14. That Judah and man's wickedness is so great that it's like a crop that needs to be harvested. And the harvest, it becomes a symbol of judgments. The harvest becomes a symbol of judgment because of the sin in the lives of God's people. In Matthew chapter 13, you guys remember the parable about the, the tares and the wheat? In, uh, in Revelation chapter 14, if you studied out and you read Revelations, you learn about the reapers in chapter 14 that are going to bring the sickle and that are going to then, what? Thin out the crop, right? And they're going to bring in the harvest and they're going to separate the wheat from the tares, so to speak. Brethren, I'm going to pause it right here because... I don't want to rush through this first uh, this pr first prophet because so much of it is so important, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do Joel's uh, letter and his book any disservice. There is so much to learn from Joel in regards to messianic prophecy. There's great lessons for us as Christians in the messianic era, being that he preached a lesson to God's chosen people and speaking of the Messiah that was to come. We need to understand those prophecies, but we also need to understand that the message isn't a whole lot different from what the prophet spoke to what we're to speak to those in the world. Yeah. And so, brothers and sisters, we're going to pause this lesson here. We'll pick it up next week. We'll get, we'll get into Joel. Then we'll start to get into Elijah and Elisha. We're going to look at those great prophets because how exciting is it when you read the story of Elijah, right? Who here doesn't like the story of Elijah? I mean, Elijah is one of the great prophets of God, and we'll start to look at him soon. If you're here today... And you're hearing the message being preached, and you're thinking to yourself that I've been considering putting Jesus on in baptism. I've been considering clothing myself with Christ. Did you know that you could do that today? Because just sitting in a pew doesn't make you a Christian. 
Sitting in a pew doesn't make you a Christian no more than clucking like a chicken makes you a chicken. You have to be clothed with Christ. You have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And so if you desire to be added by God to the kingdom, if you desire to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if you desire to have your, your sins washed away, it all begins in the baptistry behind me. If that's your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>